she suddenly realizes that she's been lied to and that he's dead. And she's told that, yes, indeed, he has been executed. And she goes into a sort of state of shock and she can't, she doesn't move or speak. And there's this sort of description of her sitting there and, and, you know, darkness falls. And eventually one of her relations takes her by the hand and leads her from the room. But this is not the end of her life. It's the end of her husband's life. And she lives for another sort of 20 years and a very full and interesting life it is too. Hello and welcome to this week's pod. My name is Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. It's great to welcome new listeners, as I can see according to my dashboard. Please do keep on spreading the word. Today's episode is on a less well-known, but nonetheless hugely influential figure, Henrietta Maria, Queen Consort of England, Scotland and Ireland, wife to the executed Charles I, mother to the philanderer King Charles II, and mother to the catastrophic King James II. She's been very much defined by these lacklustre monarchs, until now, as Leander Delisle, the author of Henrietta Maria, Conspirator, Warrior, Phoenix Queen, will establish today. Now, Henrietta Maria married Charles as a child, but lived and reigned through some of the most tumultuous periods in history. Religious wars, assassinations, pandemics, civil wars and regicides were all swirling around the first half of 17th century Europe. History has not been kind to her. She's been described as a popish whore, a manipulator and heretic. But as we'll hear from Leander, none of these things are true. I've put links to Leander's book in the show notes, along with a couple of articles related to what we're talking about, one on Charles's execution and one on Henrietta Maria herself, both by Leander. This episode makes up three parts of Civil War podcasts I've done now. So if you haven't listened to them, we've done one on Charles I and the Civil War with Mark Turnbull and on Oliver Cromwell with Miranda Mallon. So you can go back and listen to them if you haven't already. Coming up in January, we'll be concentrating fully on the trial and execution of Charles I with Mark Turnbull again. But this time we'll go into quite a bit of detail, it being the anniversary. If you can subscribe or even write a review, I'd be hugely grateful. As I mentioned last week, for listeners of this podcast, I'm offering a 50% discount on an annual subscription to our e-magazine. Down from 9 99 already cheap, to only £5 or dollars. You can gift, so with the cost of living crisis and Christmas round the corner, perhaps aspects of history can help. In the meantime, I'll hand you over to me talking to Leander Delisle. Leander Delisle, welcome. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on, and we're here to discuss Henrietta Maria, the uh, your new book, Conspirator, Warrior, and Phoenix Queen. Uh, thank you for joining the the podcast. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, well, I've been I've been loving this book. It, it's uh, it's a fascinating story, and actually, I've been rather primed up for it because I've been I was doing a bonus podcast on the top ten 
um, families of world history. And so uh, I had the Medicis in there. Um, you'll, <laughs> you'll be very upset. I didn't have the Bourbons or the, the Stuarts in there. They're in, they're in the sort of second second tier. Um, but but she's a fascinating woman, Henrietta Maria, or even, her, I mean, her childhood in particular. And I wanted to start off with her childhood because, you know, she she's she's got Medici blood in her veins. She's a, a Bourbon. Um, and and growing up in that rather bizarre family um, was quite a start to her life, wasn't it? Yes. Um, well, yeah, she was the daughter. Well, she was named after both her parents. So Henry, Henri, Henrietta, Henry, her father, Henri IV of France, Henry the Great of France, um, who was assassinated when she was a baby, around six months old. Uh, and then her mother, uh, Maria, Henrietta Maria, uh, Maria uh, de' Medici, uh, who was a quite extraordinary figure in her own right and was uh, regent of France for a number of years after the assassination of her husband. Can you clear something up for me um, on uh, Henry the Great? Uh, Henri of Navarre originally, wasn't he? Um, yes. Before he became king. Now, he was... Uh, the listener, uh, uh, the listeners should be familiar with St. Bartholomew Day Massacre because I've I've talked about that in a uh, in this bonus podcast. But um, is it the case that Henri was during that massacre uh, con uh, advised or agreed to convert to Catholicism as, as a Huguenot he, as he was uh, at the point of a sword and then subsequently converted? Uh, so, in other words, not I, I don't know. No, 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 no. He con much he converted choice. much. He converted um, much later than that. Um, but um, did he not agree at St. Bartholomew Day Massacre to to convert? At the point of the sword, I don't think he was that kind of person. Right. right. <laughs> no, I think he converted for political uh, reasons that uh, the majority of the population of France and uh, of Paris uh, were Catholic, and he felt that. To become to heal the country and become to be accepted as king of France, he would need to become a Catholic. His apocryphal words were, um, "Paris is worth a mass." Wonderful. Um, well, well, just just exploring um, Henrietta Maria's childhood a little bit, because Henry had rather an unusual. Uh, reading in the early chapter of your chapters of your book, Henry has rather a, a bizarre parenting style doesn't he with with louis his son who becomes louis the 13th um and his eldest daughter as well yes it's interesting i mean he's you know he's such an admired uh figure henry um and he you know she, the the Marie de Medici, his wife, is always sort of presented as this rather sort of cold figure and um, lots of sort of negative things are associated with her, um, whereas he's a sort of great sort of hero. And um, the fact that, you know, he had sort of lots of mistresses and so forth is 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 looked on uh, with, oh, you know, he's a sort of Boris Johnson type figure, you know, oh, how funny and how amusing and so forth. But um, as so often with these sorts of people, there's actually something rather sort of seedy and sordid behind it, I think. And uh, as he got older, it's notable that his tastes in women seem to get younger and uh, younger. Um, certainly in his last years, he was pursuing a girl of, I think she was sort of 14. Um and uh, he anyway, he he dumped wife number one because uh, she didn't produce an heir. 
uh, and uh, married uh, Marie de Medici. And uh, she did have a son, uh, Louis, the uh, future um, uh, Louis XIII. So Henry was thrilled about this, the first Dauphin to have been born in 80 years, I think he was. Um, but he seems to, have, he was a sort of quite old man by the stage in his 50s. Uh, and maybe he felt or feared some kind of physical decline. I don't know. Maybe that's it's just interesting that it was this was the time he started pursuing this 14 year old girl. And um, with his son, he became completely obsessed about his son's virility as a baby and toddler and would sort of when his son was t a tiny boy would sort of show him his the father would sort of show him his erect penis and take him to bed with his infant daughter and sort of show them in each other's sort of genitals and um yeah it's just what we would what we would uh call child abuse really and I, I I sort of read this and I did think to myself you know what's this is this what's this about is it is this some kind of fear of his own loss of his own potency that he now has a son or something creepy it was very creepy yeah it certainly is Put it um, mildly. Yeah. Um, uh, so Henrietta Maria is, is born into this family. But um, yeah, as, as I think you mentioned, she's um, her father is assassinated early on. And and then she's she's sort of primed for. Well, they're very keen, uh, the Bourbons, to have her marry Charles. But he's looking at the Habsburgs in Spain as well. Or James, his father, is is looking at marrying Charles to the to the Habsburgs. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Charles has a sister, um, Elizabeth, who's married to Prince Palatine. And um, he rather recklessly and against the advice of his father-in-law, King James, uh, accepts the crown of uh, Bohemia, which was uh, which the Habsburgs had expected to hold um and uh, the result was provoked a war with the Habsburgs um and uh, lost not only Bohemia but also um the Palatine uh, and so James was anxious not to have to go to war over this and was trying to look for a way around it and he thought a marriage between Charles and a Spanish Infanta in a part of the sort of <laughs> diary you might say um what could be the, the return of the palatine to his uh his 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 daughter charles's sister so um charles goes to spain he goes via france he goes with with james's favorite um duke of buckingham you know uh, and, and to woo the infant and it's all sort of complete disaster and a sort of fiasco and charles becomes very angry with the habsburgs and decides they were all they it was, he was just being strung along and uh, he decides that the best thing to do is indeed to go to war with the Habsburgs. And for that, he needs a French alliance. And so he negotiates a marriage with um, the then 15-year-old Henrietta Maria. And I suppose what's important to remember about this is that um, from Henrietta Maria's perspective, a very important aspect of the marriage was that it was very much in the tradition of her father, Henri uh, Katz alliances with uh, Protestant nations against the Habsburgs. She saw she saw it very much uh, in in that light, and that's indeed what it was. She did make a a, a promise to the Pope when um, th that she would raise her children as as Catholics, and that seemed to me um, reading your book that seemed to be rather an optimistic promise to make because England at, at the time was not exactly enamored with Catholicism 
No, I mean, Charles was the greatest persecutor of Catholics in um, Europe. Well, she was made to promise more than one thing. Um, the, she, she was the first sort of Catholic princess to, to marry a Protestant um, uh, monarch, and uh, the Pope um, wasn't going to give permission, just sort of willy-nilly. Um, and um, so obviously he wanted, first of all, to see some reduction in the persecution of Catholics in England. Now, there's nothing much Henrietta Maria could do about the persecution, but she was told that she should act as a protector of Catholics as much as she could, and also to set an example that might inspire conversions. On the matter of her children, it was quite usual for small children, young children, to be in the care of their mother, and uh, she was told that, you know, while they were in her care, they should be raised as Catholics. And Charles did actually agree to this, although it wasn't to happen, unsurprisingly. Reading the, um, the early moments together, it's actually quite, it, it seemed quite sweet. There's a bit of affection between the two. Um, but early on, her kind of reputation is is settled almost in England isn't it you know she's she's she sort of gets off on a bad foot from the from the beginning and never really her reputation is terribly unfair reading your book obviously I would say that but um uh it does seem as though her early uh early years are, are really sort of set the precedent for her, her reputation in England um no I don't I mean I think up to a point up to a point, uh, I think you have to remember, I think it's probably, you think that, I think probably because of the way, way that sort of history has been written. And so um, historians aren't always very good at remembering how people develop and change. And indeed, you know, their reputation develops and changes over the course of their life. Um, and so um, the girl of 15 is sometimes sort of presented to us as if she was exactly the same as a woman of 30, 40, 50, which is ridiculous. As I said, she was 15 uh, when she arrived in England. And um, she, I mean, Charles treated her very badly, actually. Um, and she reacted like an, ex and the, the, the Anglo-French alliance was, was falling apart, um, and um, which didn't make life easy for either of them. And she did react sometimes like an extremely angry teenager which I must say I think I find quite funny how she would you know there was one there's one terrible scene when they're sitting in bed together and she says you know by the way this is a list of you know people I want to run my estates and he says and he says no but they're they're French you can't have any French people running your estates in England and then she shows throws a complete wobbly and says you know you know my life is miserable and it's all your fault and you know how can you do this to me and he's sort of completely stunned you know, as king you know, and a divine right monarch. And you can't believe he's been treated like that. Um, but in the sense that I suppose you say her reputation is fixed. She was a she was a Catholic and therefore that was always going to be a stick to beat Charles with. People were and remain obsessed by the example um, of Eve, you know, Eve who seduced Adam in the Garden of Eve, you know, Garden of Eden, I'm sorry, you know, um, you know, poor old Adam, you know, poor old Adam led by his penis or whatever, was incapable of saying no to Eve. And so this poor innocent bloke was corrupted by this sort of, you know, fiendish woman. Um, and um, that um, view of women uh, remains and was used very much against Henrietta Maria, uh, forgetting, perhaps, as I said, that she was a 15 year old girl in a country of, you know, five million Protestants and about 5000 Catholics. And um, um, and um, and and he was a divine right um, monarch of uh, 25. 
how much was it that she was Catholic and how much that she was French? Um, <laughs> that's a very good question. The one, the one inflated the difficulties of the other. Um, I think if she, so Anne of Denmark is reputed, uh, who was uh, James's wife, King James's wife, who was raised as a Lutheran, which in itself, by the way, is considered was considered popish because they weren't considered sort of low church enough. So Lutherans were considered popish anyway. Um, and um, that was very disapproved of in Scotland when she was Queen of Scots before James also became King of England. But um, Denmark wasn't a great power uh, in the way that uh, France was a great power. France and, you know, Spain were the great powers. Um, and so the fact that she was not only Catholic, but a daughter of this great power uh, made, made, you know, was was sort of doubled or tripled or quadrupled even the, 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 the perceived problems of her of her Catholicism. Um, well, her early early years of marriage, she was treated very badly by um, obviously you've mentioned Charles, but also Buckingham, Charles's um, uh, partner in crime uh, until he was assassinated. Um how much was Buckingham? Um, I mean, Henrietta Maria was was really a sort of a vehicle for him to get at um, his enemies in France, wasn't she? Rather than you know any great animosity towards her. Um, well, I guess she was. You know, she was a child, um, so I don't think he. I think that uh, as you as you suggest, she, she was used um, by Buckingham, but not only in his arguments with uh, Richelieu in particular in France. Um, but also in England. So, so he's, you know, he had many um, Puritan enemies or en enemies on that side of the uh, Church of England. I mean, he had lots of different people who hated him for different reasons, but they, they, they were one group who particularly hated him. Um, and so he would try, you know, to try and, um, uh, I suppose, weaken their attacks on him. He would um, attack Henrietta Maria. He would attack you know, her Catholicism and so forth. Um, yes, so he 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 again. She was she was used as a what's it called a straw straw man, you might say. France's treatment of of Protestants, and I guess you get the reverse in England, don't you? With with, with um, uh, England's treatment of Catholics, France was a lot more um, tolerant, was it? When was she it? was growing up, it was. Uh, her father had introduced uh, the, these uh, edicts of Nantes. Uh, which her mother and brother uh, reissued more than once, uh, which permitted Huguenots at the, the, who were Calvinists, Protestants, uh, to practice their religion in France. And so if you look at things, and this was the France that she was brought up in and that she left when she was 15. And so you can see from Henrietta Maria's perspective that she did not see why it would not be possible um, for England not to have the same system for Catholics. Um, but I think that, I mean, there were, I mean, there were reasons why they, they, that, that, that wouldn't happen. I think one of the reasons was that, um, Protestantism was being rolled back in Europe and English Protestants felt threatened and fearful, um, perhaps, you know, more than they need to have done it in England, but they, but they did. One thing that struck me about, uh, about her is, is that. I mean, she's she's entirely sensible during, I mean, certainly the early years of the Civil War. She's giving decent advice to Charles. Um, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask, though, was was 
Um, the moment when Charles decides to storm into the House of Commons and, and attempt to arrest five MPs, which she seemed to have been blamed for, but that's very unfair because um, Charles, that was Charles deciding to march. It's Charles's decision, yeah, she often gets blamed for Charles's decisions. And again, mm. you do see this often in history. Um, it's the she- the she- woman gets blamed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't bring also to blame the man made made because he's a king and you don't want to blame a king or, you know, you don't want to blame, you know, some hero or you know, in the case of Charles, not a hero. But it's, you know, it is sort of, you know, blame the blame. The, we see this actually with Prince Harry and Meghan, don't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Prince Harry is not supposed to be it doesn't have a reputation of being a, a genius, but, you know, he, 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 he has capacity as they might say, he has capacity. He's not actually a vegetable. Um, he must be capable of some of his own decisions and thoughts. So, um, whatever we may think about um, Meghan, um, and uh, um, you know, the fact is that <laughs> Harry is responsible for his own decisions. We can't blame it on his wife. No. Equally with Charles, you can't blame his decisions on his wife. There's a key moment though, which which Charles has always um, should rightly be blamed for, is is that, um, and you're going to know uh exactly what year we are because um well, let's hope exactly I have yeah that. well it's a point where um we're in the civil war um the royalists are for once sort of um on top and they if they choose to go to london oh yes um then yeah. that that seems to be a key turning point right well done summer of 1643 Yes, I know. Um, absolutely. Um, she, they, they've had the, the royalists absolutely on a roll. Um, thanks, um, in in considerable part to Henrietta Maria's efforts. You know, she's brought many money, men, arms from Europe. Um, I mean, this is incredible in itself, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. She's been very, very successful. And one one things I find so fascinating as well is how how people go to see her because they're told that you know she's more reliable she's more reliable figure than than charles but the fact of the matter is and you know and the the, the parliamentarians say to say that she's wearing the breeches and i think to myself gosh she must often wish she and not only her but she must often wish she was wearing the breeches because the fact of the matter is that he was king and he made the decisions at the end of the day and one of these decisions was that she said in the summer of 1643 now is the moment to go and take london they're having riots in london um, and um, as I said, the, the, they'd had a string of royalist victories, and Charles said no. He was he was going off. He was going to stomp off to Gloucester, and um, and th- and an opportunity was lost. And she believed that was a turning point because the Scots were on the point of joining the war on the side of the parliamentarians and once they of the english parliament once they did the numbers would be against charles and it was going to be very very difficult for him to win the civil war after that and she saw this as the great turning point and it was even mentioned as actually in her funeral at her funeral uh, that this was this was the turning as she saw it certainly the turning point in the civil war um, and she went back to france in fact the following year um to try and you know salvage what she could and get more money men and arms but you know things went downhill really from that point the scots joined joined the war joined the parliamentarians in 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 january 1644 and um you know 1645 he he uh he he that's that yeah you've written an award-winning book uh the white king uh all about charles the first and what i wondered was 
did you find whilst writing this book um which i think uh the white king could um sort of presents him it's a sort of revisionist history uh, presents him in a positive light did you find uh, writing this book you know uh henrietta maria is really being blamed for charles's um blunders here and there and so perhaps he's not you know he, he did does it make you sort of rethink your um uh your no view? i mean i felt when i was writing white king i thought i found i was completely fascinated by henrietta maria and um um and i and uh, and but i had to sort of you know obviously i was focused my focus was on charles you and so um i had to sort of be quite careful to sort of restrain that uh interest um which was why i wrote this 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 book um my agent was very against it at first and said to me oh no you can't do a biography of henry Schmier. people just think it's the boring stuff you left out <laughs> and <laughs> she's always she's always very direct and to the point which is a good thing i think and i was saying no 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 really i promise you it's 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 not going to be it's not going to be it's not going to be boring stuff i left out um but i suppose this one is, I think, also sympathetic, perhaps less sympathetic. Um, so White King was a sympathetic, well, is a sympathetic uh, portrayal of Charles. And I, 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 and a part of that was that I felt that there'd been too much kind of sort of um, the view of Charles had become too negative and, 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 to, and, and was really sort of turning people off the whole period. I think, you know, who's going to want to read about this fascinating period of history, if the central figure, i.e. Charles, is just a sort of pathetic, moronic dweeb, um, you know, which he which which you know, which he wasn't. Um, and so I wanted to explain to people how he thought, the kind of man he was, so they could understand, for example, why was he what what did it mean for him to be a divine right monarch you know this wasn't a man who was just flouncing around in lace saying i am marvelous me you know i think i am god you know that there was a first of all you know he, he'd inherited these ideas from his father and secondly there was a very um um a side to it that we could all understand and relate to that it was about preventing it was a, it was it was, a, it was a response to religious extremism you might say and, and terrorism indeed um so so that was that was so that was that was one of the things I wanted to achieve with White King is to is to explain the complexity to have explained to explain this this central figure Charles the King and why he had so many people support him people who were prepared willing to die for this man um so there was that and as I was doing the book guys I said I became very fascinated by the figure of his wife who was who's another sort of very sort of despised figure um and uh, and who i came to realize was a actually very extraordinary woman whereas charles i think is a sympathetic figure but um he was a failed king and he had major flaws i suppose we all have flaws but charles's flaws were quite striking um here you had a, a, a really um extraordinary um woman um, and one who I, I felt um, people would like to be introduced to. I think another problem with this period, the 17th century, and the, not, not just the Civil War, but the first half of the 17th century, is it's, but particularly the reign of Charles I, is it's seen as very masculine. It's all kind of, you know, warty parliamentarians um, against, against sort of Rupert of the Rhine figures charging around with their great swords or whatever. Um, 
whereas there are in fact and whereas the Tudors on the other hand have all these amazing queens and queen consorts and you know um and is, is a very popular period and so so again it's also about getting the balance and showing people not only whether because it's a fascinating time full of fascinating male figures but also fascinating and powerful women female figures and, and all the women of the families at the time all these huge family you know these these significant major dynasties all over europe presumably were all of the same mind as as charles in that you know their opponents their political opponents were uh you know they believed in the divine right of, of kings themselves uh, kings and queens themselves they 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 weren't going to have any truck with what parliament was was thinking no i mean i think i, I think with the thing with divine right kingship as well is that um it was a question about where the where people a lot of people i mean in in mps as well believed that kings drew their authority from from god i suppose there were questions about where the balance where the balance lay um um with with where the balance lay with with parliament um and yes, European monarchs also believed in a sense in divine right kingship, but not in quite the same way. I mean, the key right. difference was the people think um, of, of divine right being a sort of, again, they think it's something to some, some way associated with Henrietta Maria because it must somehow be Catholic because people think of, of Protestantism as being a sort of great step on the path to democracy. And therefore, if you're Catholic, you're obviously not going to be on the great you know, stepping towards the sort of marvellous democracy. Yes. Oliver Cromwell, uh, that great Democrat. Yes. Well, I know exactly. Well, I know exactly. Um, but actually, the thing about um, English, the, the, the Stuart divine right kingship, um, was that he'd inherited a lot of his ideas from Henry VIII. The point was that the king was not just a, a secular head, but also a religious head. He was head of the Church of England. He was governor of the Church of England. He was a pope in England. Um, so, which of course the, uh, the the kings of 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 France and Spain didn't quite claim. I mean, they certainly thought they were very important and used to get very annoyed if they didn't get their way. But um, with the Pope or whatever. But um, fact of the matter is, they didn't claim that they had a religious role in the way the Pope did, whereas the kings of England did. Um, which which had its problems because when you had Charles come along and say, right, you know, I think the Church of England. Um, should we should have sort of stained glass windows or whatever and we need to beautify our churches and i don't think it's 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 respectable to god not to sort of to have one's churches looking like barns rather than being beautified and i i'm perfectly in faith and i church music is a part of that and i think kneeling is important because it shows respect or whatever um then you're going to get sort of what we would think of as low touch church protestants these are modern terms which they wouldn't have used them but more calvinists uh, viewpoints regard regarded that as popish which doesn't mean catholic exactly it just means um you know moving away from sort of calvinism and that was obviously a problem so you suddenly got the head of the church saying things you don't believe mm. I, I guess uh, it's an it's uh, it's interesting you say that it's an important distinction to make between uh, between charles being the head of the church and and his european counterparts not being so um which it's it's something that one often forgets particularly when these european monarchs seem so powerful in their own uh, in their own areas yes it's absolutely it's that and it's also the way i i do think it sort of 
we are off. I think we're unaware of the way that um, we have been raised to think about things as well. So, like I said, you know, we, you know, there is this sort of great idea that I mean, you even have sort of Ian Duncan Smith, who was a cradle Catholic, saying, you know, the Reformation, you know, started our sort of break from Brexit, Europe, a yeah. nonsense. And you know, and secondly, there was sort of part stomping along on the path of democracy. Just think to yourself, what the hell are you talking about, you lunatic? But anyway. Um, but um, yeah, so and so Henrietta Maria strangely is becomes a sort of victim of that. And one of the things that's said about her is that she turns Charles Catholic. And at the same time, yet at the same time, we know that Charles was named a, a martyr of the Church of England. Um, and you know, you can't be a martyr of the Church of England, the Protestant Church of England, and be a Catholic. You know, you can be one or the other. You can't be both. Surely that's viewed as pure, um, uh, a puritanical or a parliamentarian propaganda. I mean, absolute. Well, yes, but, you know, I mean, I come across on Twitter word. and things all the time that people sort of have absorbed a lot of parliamentary propaganda. I see. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the execution of Charles I as it affected Henry Henrietta Maria, obviously. I've actually, I've discussed the execution with um, uh, Mark Turnbull, who you may be familiar with. Oh, yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah, and, and we actually had a very interesting chat and, and oh, he's sympathetic to Charles I and after a conversation with him and, and, and having... He thinks he knows who, who the executioner was, doesn't he? Oh, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, I think so. He's coming back in January to talk because that's the uh, anniversary. He's got a book coming out, hasn't he? Yes. Um, yes, I think I think that's right. Oh, well, you can I ask sh- him. I shall ask him. I shall ask him. And it, it's funny, we've been talking about how, um, or, or rather you've been talking about how yes. hopeless Charles I uh, was or his many mishaps. I should. Yes. I don't want to put words yes. in your mouth. But um, the trial and execution of Charles I, which is where Charles comes out very well um, for once in his life. He, he performs admirably. Um, but I was interested in how this affected Henrietta Maria, because uh, there's an interesting, actually, uh, you, 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 in, uh, there's an interesting line in, in early on in the book where, where she's traveling to England and she's reminded or, or it, it, she is constantly reminded of four queens or four female um, or queen consorts or had been executed. And right. yeah, I, I mean, it's, so yeah, it's almost like she's an axe hanging over her head when she's a, a child. Um, and then her husband is is executed in 1649. Yes, absolutely. Um, and she's she's well, she's two queens particularly mentioned. One is Anne Boleyn, who's a queen consort, as she was. And she's told in by Buckingham at one point, she's told, by the way, you know, queens of England lose their heads when he, he, he started to put her in her place. And uh, she's also told, reminded before she leaves that uh, Charles's um, grandmother, Mary, Queen of Scots, was um, executed and is seen in France as a kind of Catholic martyr. And she's told that one day she may be expected to die in the same way. Um, And indeed, during the Civil War, an impeachment process is put in place. um, And they do try quite hard, the parliamentarians, to kill her, actually, at various points. Um, But um, it's her husband who is executed, which I I think comes as a huge shock to her. I mean, she obviously, she knows she's in France, she's in Paris, she's in the Louvre, she knows Charles has been on trial. She hasn't been given permission to return to London to be with him, um, which she wants to do despite the fact her own life would be at such risk. Um, And she, you know, hopes that the French 
will send uh, sending diplomats, ambassadors, and others to prevent um, Charles's um, execution. And then she's told that she's told that. Um, oh, by the way, he was has been taken to the scaffold, but the crowd have come. They came and they saved him. And uh, she sends off a, a messenger to find out if it's, this is true she, to to her her, her sister in law, who's Queen Regent, and um, of France. And he doesn't come back. The messenger doesn't come back. And the messenger doesn't come back. And uh, she's sitting there having, you know, eating lunch in in the Louvre. Uh, and eventually someone says, oh, well, it must be bad news. And she suddenly realizes that she's been lied to and that he's dead. And she's told that, yes, indeed, he has been executed. And she goes into a sort of state of shock and she can't, she doesn't move or speak. And there's this sort of description of her sitting there and, and, you know, darkness falls. And eventually one of her relations takes her by the hand and leads her from the room. But this is not the end of her life, it's the end of her husband's life. And she lives for another sort of 20 years and a very full and interesting life it is too. So my book goes on very much beyond the execution of her husband. The Phoenix Queen, she rises. Exactly, exactly. One of the things that struck me so much is that, because you have as a decade of sort of misery um um until uh, well there are some historians who would disagree <laughs> oh about her being uh, oh, about i meant her... the interregnum oh did you were you disc- well, sorry it I'm terrible her. i mean maybe 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 lovely if you're a cromwellian but if you're, <laughs> but if you're, if you're a royalist in paris living on sort of two beans um then you know not so great so what yeah. i mean by that is it was you know horrible horrible for her <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, yes, um, I think it was very nice if you were Mrs. Cromwell, for example, sitting in a lovely sort of palace in 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 London. But um, so not so not so great for her. But but anyway, in 1660, you know, her son is restored, and he becomes you know Charles II. Uh, hooray, hurrah! Um, from her perspective and from the perspective of all the royalists. Um, but what is so fascinating is that is that. The sort of image that we're presented to of Henrietta Maria at this point is she returns to England um, and uh, the diarist Samuel Pepys sees her at court and he describes her as dressed in black and looking very ordinary. And this is how she's often left, you know, as if, you know, she, you know she's a miserable old crone and OK, the royalists are back and, you know, the merry monarchs having a merry time. But, you know, and and I wonder why that is. And I think it's because, again, she's still being cast as as Eve. Uh, and what Eve wants is Eve is an agent of Satan. Satan wants chaos. Satan wants civil war, which is chaos. So naturally, this daughter of Eve can't celebrate and enjoy her son's uh, restoration. So we leave her as this sort of pathetic, withered, sort of defeated figure. But the fact is that she was dressed in black and not feeling at her chirpiest um, because, you know, her youngest son had just died. And none of us might feel at our chirpiest um, at that moment. Um, and But what we're not told is Samuel Pepys, you know, just giving writing another description of her two years later in which he says that her court is, you know, the merriest, merriest than that of the merry monarch, um, that it's, it's, the, it's the greatest court um, in England and that everyone flocks there. 
and, you know, having a lovely time, describes her having an absolute ball. And she writes to her sister at one point saying that she's as happy as she's ever been. Um, and she is, again, a powerful figure. You know, her son is restored. She's been through many tragedies, but she's extremely resilient. And she's described as a sort of phoenix queen who rises from the ashes of the Civil War. And that's absolutely the person she is. She has risen from the ashes of the Civil War. I was interested in her relationship with her um, second eldest son, James II. Yes. Um, because he he's an absolute disaster. Um, I know. After her, after she died, though, let us not forget. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not blaming Henrietta Maria for <laughs> James II. I, I think that would be very unfair. Yeah, I think it would be, but but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't, it would, I mean, I wouldn't put it past some people, to be honest. Well, I know. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. All, all the, the weaknesses in the male males are the blame are blamed on the uh, are blamed on Henrietta Maria. It seems, yeah. you know, it's very unfair. So if, in, by that logic, one would have to uh, apportion the successes to her as well. But um, James II was a disaster. What was her relationship like with James II? Well, well he wasn't James II, was he? But um... no, no, he was just James, Duke of York. Um, but um, he, her, what was it? Well, <laughs> he was a great. I mean, she was a she was a, she was a very physically a tiny person, a tiny person with a very big personality. Um, and as her mother was Marie de Medici, who was who was no shrinking violet either, um, and. What is fascinating about her relationship with her children is that she loved all her children and all her children loved her. Um, but she would, but she had quarrels with them. I mean, you know, she quarreled to the absolute death with some of them. I mean, the, the awful, the, the, the tragic case of, of Henry, Duke of Gloucester, who was the one who had mm. just died when she was seen dressed in black. Um, she her, um, had wanted him to convert to Catholicism when he arrived in France. He was just a boy of from memory 14 or something um he and she felt that this would be better for his future the Stuart causes a very low ebb so if he became a catholic quite apart from the fact that she obviously believed it would be better for his soul um she also thought well he'd be able to marry a nice rich catholic wife um or he could be made a cardinal or you know he generally have some power and money and general jolliness um and when he said no, he wasn't going to do that. Uh, unsurprisingly, he, you know, his last memory of his father was his, um, you know, it was his father about to go to the scaffold and saying that one of the things he was dying for was, you know, the you know, Church of England and so forth. Um, she threw him out, um, and you know, was on sort of non-speakers with him for years. But again, and, th- and again, she's seen as a sort of monster mother for this, <clears throat> for this reason. But in fact. Her, her her sister-in-law, um, the Winter Queen of Bohemia, did exactly the same with her, she, who was a Protestant, whose children became Catholics. You know, if you were a queen, um, and if you, particularly if you're a queen and as a, in exile, as both of them were, you could not afford to be seen as weak. You could not have afford to have your young ch- your children not doing as they as as as, as they're told. Um, she needed to look formidable for to. To help raise money and so forth for her son Charles II, um, and she was look after the restoration. She was looking forward, as she wrote, to being reunited with her children, including Henry. And then, of course, he died. He died before they were reunited. It was absolutely and you know heartbreaking. Um, but anyway, so that's slightly. I'm slightly moving on from James here, but with James as well, she got very annoyed with James because James um, married um, a commoner. 
Um, and um, she was appalled by this. You know, why was she, you know, he, as a, as a member of, you know, royal dynasty, he should be marrying a, a, a royal princess that would bring, you know, p power and wealth to the Stuarts and to England and Scotland. Uh, influence, you know, it, was a, it should be in a, more of a political marriage. Um, and uh, so she was she was furious about that. But in, interestingly, she when her one of her daughters died, um, so she arrived back in England. Her son Henry had died. James had married Clarendon's daughter, and um, and she was very and she was extremely annoyed, as I was saying. But then her daughter Mary died, and she she was obviously shattered by this, and and um, she obviously simply couldn't keep up her display of you know anger with James and so, so before she returned to France as she, as she did for a period of time as she did that January from memory um you know she she sort of kissed and made up with 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 James and his wife it's all very human if you see what I mean as it, as no absolutely absolutely and, and I, I mean I was just thinking that you know um uh, James marrying a commoner must have blown her mind given all the different families blood she's got rushing through her body Yes, I think she was was you know, completely completely outraged. Um, I mean, both of her sons were, you know, philanderers and womanizers, and but she couldn't understand, I suppose, why he why why he actually had to go ahead and, and marry um, this um, girl. Um, and she was hoping she hoped to sort of end it. You know, she hoped to, I suppose, to get an annulment of some sort. She, I mean, she, because you know, she had a ruthless streak. I'm not Henry Maria wasn't wasn't a saint. I mean, I don't, she was she, she had actually some quite saintly qualities in a way, but she wasn't a saint. And she was extremely tough and could be very hard nosed. Um, and um, yeah, and that was that was that that was one in one area. The Phoenix Queen. I mean, in a way, she she rises again, doesn't she? Because in William and Harry, yes, we have direct yes. descendants. Yes, absolutely. Through um, yes, absolutely, they're descended from her um, because they are descended from I think two of uh, Charles II's, the children of Charles II, children of Charles II by his mistresses, by two of his mistresses. So, um, so this would be down through the uh, Diana um, Spencer. Yes. Absolutely, through Diana. They are descended through Diana, Princess of Wales. They are descended from Henrietta Hen, from Henrietta Maria. Yes. So she so she she's back. She'd be delighted. <laughs> and, and she's um I, I I didn't know this. And she's um this the great state of Maryland in uh in the United States of America is named is named after her. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. Maryland is absolutely named after her. Yes, and often you yes, I think people get mis get, get confused and think they was named after one of the other Marys, but no, no, it was it was it was it was it was named after. Sometimes she was called Queen Mary, Henrietta Maria. She was called different things. So there was a there was a brief period when she was called Queen Henry when she first arrived in England. They weren't quite sure what to call her, <laughs> so she was Queen Henry. I think that would have been quite cool. I would have. I think Henry Henry would have been a rather good name for her. But yeah, anyway. yeah. Well, well, we're coming to the end. She's clearly a fascinating character. Um, I, I mean, I like the fact that she brought sort of a bit of fun to the to the English court, being yes. being French, just despite being French. Yeah, well, because I mean, yes. certainly the art of conversation, and there was a brilliant 
quote I came across was some sort of stuffy old English peer saying, uh, who could, because Charles II, of course, was very, um, became, was very influenced by his mother and by his time in France. And, uh, and, and this, this uh, crusty old peer complained bitterly about this, this new, this fashion for talking, you know, chatting. Um, and no, she loved chatting and um, she had a great sense of humor, actually. And that's one of the things I hope comes across in the book is that she was very funny. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Um, and I think she's got a, uh, certainly thanks to this book, she's got a, a very, uh, a reputation to be proud of. Well, I think it's, you know, she had, she had good in her and bad in her, dark and light, like as, 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 as everyone does. But she's a very interesting and powerful character. And one I think many readers um, would warm to, um, or even if they don't warm to, would find her interesting. She's, she's certainly not boring. Absolutely not. I mean, early day, early parts of it read like the you know the the Juma novels. They're one, the Three Musketeers. It's one. It's yes, one, it really is. <laughs> well, that's where he got it from. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Leander, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been great to chat. Thank you. Coming up, I've got Tessa Dunlop on the Crown TV series and Elizabeth and Philip's early life. I've got Ian McGregor talking about Stalingrad, Peter Hughes on history and today's society, and the bonus on top 10 historical movies, a showdown with my list up against film director Tim Hewitt's own top 10 to decide the ultimate aspects of history top 10 historical films. I hope you can join me. Thank you and good night.